Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. <laughs> the good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Listen to amazing and bizarre science infuse into your brain. I'm Ian Wolfe. And on this edition, can nuclear medicine be made without using uranium or reactors? But first up, what is the singularity? I am the very model of a singularitarian I'm combination transhuman and model extropian Aggressively I'm changing all my body's biochemistry Because my body's heritage is altered genetically Replacing all the cells these bunches here just temporarily The pattern of my brain and body's weather's continuity I'll try to improve these patterns with optimal biology But how will I do that? I need to be smarter Ah yes! I'll expand my mental faculties by merging with technology. Expand his mental faculties by merging with technology. Expand his mental faculties by merging with technology. Expand his mental faculties by merging with technology. And with our new technology, renewable clean energy, remove our pathogens and overcome hunger and poverty. In short, I am a transhuman, a modalist extropian. I am the very model of a singularitarian. In short, he is a transhuman, a modalist extropian. He is the very model of a singularitarian. Knowledge in all forms, music, art, science, and technology. Our brains and bodies are precious in any loss of tragedy. Important recognitions and insights are what we should retain while we destroy all of the useless information that remains. And when a person dies, we lose a profound pattern tragically. And the part of ourselves that interacted with them literally. Religious folks may rationalize that death is really something good. Something good? Something good? Huh? I think they changed our minds of singularity were understood. I think they changed our minds of singularity were understood. I think they changed our minds of singularity were understood. I think they changed our minds of singularity were understood. I create and appreciate all of the knowledge that I know to greater order, even though complexity I know may grow. In short, I am a transhuman, a modalist extropian. I am the very model of a singularitarian. In short, he is a transhuman, a modalist extropian. He is the very model of a singularitarian. The purpose of the universe is that of all our human lives. Since no aliens have come forth this much, we can now rationalize. We'll spread our thoughts with nanobots that know how to self-replicate. Through solar system, Milky Way, or anywhere we designate. Ideas are our products that will solve the problems of our fate. And new ideas for the problems we can't yet articulate. Let's leverage all our knowledge from the returns that accelerate. Returns that accelerate? Sounds familiar. Ah, yes, the law of accelerating returns by Ray Kurzweil, of course, of course! So the outcome of the universe is something we can contemplate. The outcome of the universe is something we can contemplate. The outcome of the universe is something we can contemplate. The outcome of the universe is something we can contemplate. The singularity is near, but I won't be indifferent. In case something should go awry, I'll do my best to prevent. Because I am a transhuman and moralist extropian, I am the very model of a singularitarian. Because he is a transhuman and moralist extropian, he is the very model of a singularitarian. Yes! Singularity! Woohoo! Singularity is here! Singularity is near! Singularity! And that was Charlie Cam with Singularitarian. With increasing anxiety, many of our best thinkers have seen a looming prediction wall emerge in recent decades. There's a growing inability of human minds to credibly imagine our onrushing future, 
a feature that might include greater-than-human technological sophistication and intelligence. Timothy Leary summarised his philosophy in the acronym SMILE, S-M-I-2-L-E, which stood for Space Migration, Intelligence Studying Intelligence, I2, and Life Extension, as the most important developments. An intelligence explosion was predicted by a statistician I.J. Goodin in when the first applications of intelligence amplification become possible. The more intelligent you become, the more your ability to increase your intelligence. This applies to humans becoming more than humanly bright, or machine intelligences. Humans have the advantage of our evolved intelligence to start from. Machines have the advantage that they can be implemented on any substrate. Professor Werner Vinge later called an event resulting in an exponential growth in intelligence the singularity. Professor Robin Hansen proposes that multiple singularities have occurred throughout history, dramatically affecting the growth rate of the economy. Like the agricultural and industrial revolutions of the past, the technological singularity would increase economic growth between 60 and 250 times, an innovation that allowed for the replacement of virtually all human labour could trigger this event. Vinci continues by predicting that superhuman intelligences, however created, will be able to enhance their own minds faster than the humans that created them. Werner Vinci wrote, when greater than human intelligence drives progress, that progress will be much more rapid. This feedback loop of self-improving intelligence will cause large amounts of technological progress within a short period of time. Most proposed methods for creating smarter-than-human or transhuman or post-human minds fall into one of two categories, intelligence amplification of human brains and artificial intelligence. The means speculated to produce intelligence augmentation are many and include bioengenetic engineering, nootropic drugs, AI assistance, direct brain-computer interfaces and the transfer of human minds to machine brains or even virtual simulated communities where you can choose how realistic you want the laws of physics to be. Although a staple of science fiction, the concept of the singularity remains highly speculative and it's been criticised as pseudoscience. Skeptics have sneered at it as the rapture of the nerds. Robotics researcher Hans Muravec argues that although superintelligence in the form of machines may make humans in some sense obsolete as the top intelligence, there will still be room in the ecology for humans. The Singularity Institute for Artificial Intelligence is dedicated to developing machine intelligences that are friendly to humanity. Hugo de Garris, a guest on this program, believes that machine intelligences that are superior to humanity will destroy us and we must do everything in our power to make sure that they never get created. Many singularitarians consider nanotechnology to be one of the greatest dangers facing humanity. For this reason, they often believe that an artificial intelligence capable of making itself smarter should precede nanotechnology. Others, such as the Foresight Institute, advocate efforts to create molecular nanotechnology, claiming nanotechnology can be made safe for pre-singularity use, and can expedite the arrival of a beneficial singularity. Hawkins wrote that mind steps, dramatic and irreversible changes to paradigms or worldviews, are accelerating in frequency as quantified in his mind step equation. 
He cites the inventions of writing, mathematics and the computer of examples of such mind shifts. Ray Kurzweil's analysis of history concludes that technological progress follows a pattern of exponential growth, following what he calls the law of accelerating returns. He generalises Moore's law, which describes geometric growth in integrated semiconductor complexity, to include technologies from far before the integrated circuit. His book, The Singularity is Near, is worth reading. He argues that we should reach the computing power to accurately simulate and emulate a human brain by 2020, the same date that governments around the world plan on returning humans to the moon. Some critics assert that no computer or machine will ever achieve human intelligence, while others don't rule out the possibility. Theodore Modus and Jonathan Hoopner argue that the rate of technological innovation has not only stopped rising, but it's actually now declining. John Smart criticises this analysis. Some evidence for this decline is that the rise in computer clock rates is slowing, even while Moore's prediction of exponentially increasing circuit density continues to hold. While clock speeds in the past were advertised as a main source of speed from a processor, that's no longer true. Today's processors use the circuits for different, more efficient purposes than pushing raw clock speed, so that a Core i7 at 2GHz is far more powerful than a Pentium 4 at 4GHz. Dramatic changes in the rate of economic growth have occurred in the past because of some technological advancement. Based on population growth, the economy doubled every 250,000 years from the Paleolithic era until the Neolithic Revolution. This new agricultural economy began to double every 900 years, a remarkable increase. In the current era, beginning with the Industrial Revolution, the world's economic output doubles every 15 years, 60 times faster than in the agricultural era. If the rise of superhuman intelligence causes a similar revolution, one would expect the economy to double at least quarterly and possibly on a weekly basis. Machines capable of performing most mental and physical tasks as well as humans would cause a rise in wages for the jobs at which humans can still outperform machines. However, a sudden proliferation of human-like machines would likely cause a net drop in wages as humans compete with robots for jobs. We can see this with Mechanical Turk. Also, the wealth of the technological singularity might be concentrated in the hands of only a few. Those wealthy few would be those who own the means of mass-producing the intelligent robot workforce. Technological abilities used only to benefit a wealthy minority is one of the disasters warned of by transhumanists. Such a radical disparity in wealth could lead to war using all kinds of nasty weapons that could become available to anyone with internet access and 3D printers. A brain prosthetic has been developed that can replace a small part of your brain as a black box. Inputs and outputs are indistinguishable. Hans Moravec has successfully copied the neural connections of spiny lobsters to a computer neural network, thereby uploading the minds of the lobsters. Access to the internet through a search engine like Google is a brain prosthetic that could make any computer literate person seem to be a genius to someone from the 19th century. Hyperconnectivity, silent communication through the internet and mobile devices, is changing the way people relate and how many people they can relate to. And as we've seen in recent news, the use of the internet and mobile devices is changing politics. Individuals are becoming empowered, and as a result, they're not putting up with political oppression anymore, and they're using these tools to help organise 
political revolution around the world. It seems totally incredible to me now that everyone spent that evening as though it were just like any other. You're listening to Diffusion Science Radio. Send email to diffusion at 2scr.com. Brought to you across Australia on the Community Radio Network, into Sydney on 2SCR and over the internet on www.diffusionradio.com. Here's Derek Muller with I'm Atoms. Protons, neutrons, and electrons The first two in the nucleus The third around it Is mostly empty space But it feels solid in any case The elements are all the different types of atoms They differ by the number of protons in the middle Hydrogen has only one But uranium has a ton Oh, it's just chem. Oh, 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 street that you and me are made of these atoms. Mm-hmm. Atoms bond together to form molecules Most of what's around in me and you Water, sugar, things yet undreamed of Look around, you see the combinations in a eucalypt tree Mandalayo's periodicity Gives us sand and water and the air above It's just chemistry that you and me are made of these atoms. Hydrogen, oxygen, carbon, nitrogen make up the world. Life forms do 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 do. Do 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 do. Do you wonder how matter forms something strange when there's a chemical change? Bo 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 bo. Bo 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 bo. Ba 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 da da. Where did these atoms come from? They were fused in stars. Light elements combined, releasing life from afar. Fusion in the sun creates helium. I guess what I'd be saying is you gotta use your reason to open up your mind and see the cause of the seasons. How do we know what's true? A scientific method shows you and it's just street that you and me are made of these atoms. Well, atoms bond together to form molecules. 
most of what's around in me and you. Water, sugar, sand, and you'll find things undreamed of. So argon, neon, xenon, there's no need to overstate. Cause we are, of course, this or this or this world made atoms. That was I'm Atoms by Derek Muller. Anything to do with nuclear is political. What about nuclear medicine? Nuclear medicine is a wonderful thing. Radiotherapy can cure some types of cancer. Radioactive dyes allow the diagnosis of many diseases so that treatment can save lives. There are also radiopharmaceuticals like Quadramet. It's the only painkiller for people with severe pain from bone cancer that doesn't stop them enjoying the company of their friends and family by being vagued out. Nuclear imaging can diagnose blood clots, heart disease, lung problems, infections, and of course, cancer. Radioactive dyes can be taken as a liquid, orally or intravenously, or inhaled in gaseous form. They emit gamma rays that form images on detectors put together by computers in CAT scans, PET scans, and magnetic resonance imaging. Radioactive iodine can treat thyroid cancer, hyperthyroidism, and adrenal gland tumours in adults, and nerve tissue tumours in children. Radioactive antibodies can treat cancer of the lymph immune system. Radioactive phosphorus can treat some blood disorders. Tens of millions of nuclear medicine procedures are performed each year. Nuclear medicine has long been a problem because it's the ideal excuse for a nation to own nuclear weapons-grade uranium. If a nation makes or buys weapons-grade uranium, then they have the ability to make nuclear weapons. Right now, the United Nations is in negotiations with Iran about their nuclear medicine program and whether they can buy highly enriched weapons-grade uranium instead of being trusted to make it themselves and resist the urge to make nuclear weapons the United Nations hopes to set up an international uranium enrichment plant, independent of any nation that could supply the raw ingredients for making nuclear medicine to reduce the risk of extra nuclear weapons being made. So every single nation that has been making nuclear medicines, including Australia, has been using weapons-grade uranium. In the case of Australia, we don't officially have the capability to make highly enriched uranium, so where did we get it from? We bought our weapons-grade uranium from the United States. However, with the opening of the new OPAL, O-P-A-L, reactor at Lucas Heights, Australia is now making nuclear medicine from low-enriched uranium. Low-enriched uranium cannot be made into nuclear weapons. O-P-A-L, OPAL, stands for Open Pool Australian Light Water. The reactor uses solid fuel rods with control rods, in a reactor with heavy water and a zirconium alloy reflector, all at the bottom of a 13-metre deep pool of ordinary light water for cooling and to protect against radiation. All the highly enriched uranium in Australia was sent back to the USA in 2010 because we don't need it anymore. The other country to follow this path is South Africa. They not only mined uranium and made nuclear medicine, but they made their own nuclear weapons. In 1991, they renounced their nuclear weapons. In 2007, an armed gang tried to steal some highly enriched uranium. 
So, in a logical progression to safety, the South African Nuclear Energy Corporation, at its Safari One reactor in Palindaba, in December 2010, exported to the USA among the first molybdenum-99 made from low-enriched uranium instead of weapons-grade uranium. The South African reactor turns the low-enriched uranium into a powdered alloy to expose it efficiently to the neutrons, which is a different mechanism to the opal. The other nuclear technology that might offer a way to make nuclear medicine without the risk of weapons-grade uranium being available is accelerators. Accelerators are atom smashers. They accelerate protons and electrons to a very high speed using giant magnets. Neutrons don't have an electric charge for magnets to grab hold of, so you can't use the same reactions. There are a range of medical radioisotopes you can make in an accelerator, but they aren't replacements for reactor-based medicines. They complement them. A notable exception is technetium-99M. Technetium-99M is the most used medical radioisotope. The Canadian government in February 2011 has invested $35 million in making commercial quantities of technetium-99M from an accelerator. Technetium-99M is traditionally made by putting uranium into a reactor where the neutrons split it or fission it into many products, including radioactive molybdenum-99. Molybdenum-99 decays into technetium-99M and has a half-life of 66 hours whereas the technetium-99M only has a half-life of six hours. So they make molybdenum-99 and put it into little desktop reactors and ship them around the world to hospitals. Hospitals use these mini-reactors to collect the decay product technetium-99M and use it for diagnostic imaging. Technetium-99M itself only has a half-life of six hours, remember. So it has to be close to the hospital. Accelerators can't use the same nuclear reactions as reactors, so the Canadian physicists will be accelerating electrons to hit a target that will release a large amount of light. This strong light source will fission uranium into products that include technetium-99M, without any neutrons being involved. There's a few problems with this method replacing the Australian or South African low-enriched uranium reactors or the Canadian highly enriched uranium reactor that currently supplies their medical needs. The technology hasn't been developed enough to make technetium-99M in the quantities that hospitals around the world need. The Canadian government investment will help make that happen, but we don't know how long it'll take. Time is the other problem. The Canadian accelerator makes technetium-99M directly, and it has a half-life of only six hours. After that, it's too late for the hospitals to use it. This means that every hospital will need its own accelerator. The other problem is that the accelerator reaction of light and uranium needs 3,000 times more energy to produce the same amount of technetium-99M as a reactor. Even if the Canadian research solves these issues by inventing small, cheap accelerators for making technetium-99M in the future, they still need uranium as their feedstock. Uranium is a dirty substance to mine in the way it's currently dug up and refined in Australia and everywhere else in the world. And its mining will harm the environment until mining regulation is changed. The other problem is that even low-enriched uranium is still a temptation to those who would terrorise the world with nuclear weapons. They could still try to enrich it to weapons-grade material. In Germany, 
Bert Walterbeek at the Delft University of Technology has invented a technique of bombarding naturally occurring molybdenum-98 with neutrons from a reactor to convert it into molybdenum-99 that can be used for making technesium-99M in mini-reactors, just like we currently do. The neutrons are not coming from a chain reaction in the molybdenum, but from outside. So you no longer need uranium for the base material, but you still need to supply the nuclear reactions that supply the neutrons. Nuclear medicines help people in desperate need. They can't be used too much because their radioactivity makes them dangerous to the patient. The disposal of medical radioisotopes requires care. Nuclear medicine needs uranium to be mined either as the base ingredient or in alternative reactions to supply the neutrons. This means we have to keep mining uranium, but we no longer have to refine the uranium into weapons-grade material. If nuclear medicine is to be green, then the environmentally aware politicians need to change the laws about how it's mined so that uranium mining no longer harms the environment. Hopefully, now that we have a government in Australia that includes a coalition with the Green Party, these changes to mining regulation can be made and the rest of the world can give up their weapons-grade uranium too. Great scientific advances are oftentimes sudden accomplished facts before most of us are even dimly aware of them. Breathtakingly unexpected, for example, was the searing flash that announced the atomic age. Equally unexpected was the next gigantic stride. And schools will send scouting parties to collect books and stuff, and men like you will teach the kids, not poems and rubbish, science, so we can get everything working. We'll build villages and towns, and, and we'll play each other at cricket. Listen, maybe one day we'll capture a fight. And that's all from us, this time on Diffusion. You can send email to diffusion at 2SCR.com. That's diffusion at 2SCR.com. And tell us your thoughts, feelings and stories. If you'd like to be on radio and you live in Sydney, we need more volunteers on Diffusion. Subscribe to our podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. Contributing to the program was Derek Muller. I produced Diffusion in the studios of 2SCR in Sydney. Diffusion is broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Ian Wolfe. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio.